again. I'm Mark Middleton, and the guy sitting right over there, well, that is Bill Schaefer. Welcome back to Growing Boulder. More than a show, it's a movement proving that it's never too late to create the life that you want. On today's show, he's been called the world's greatest mentalist, and he's here to share his secrets for developing your brain power. And if you work up an appetite listening to that, legendary barbecue pit master John Rivers and world champion master swimmer who was told she would never walk again after two tragic accidents. Plus, we'll have the story of a middle-aged reinvention that will inspire you to keep going no matter what. That and more now on Growing Boulder. He is a member of the Basketball Hall of Fame and one of the most successful executives in the history of the NBA, currently the executive vice president of the Orlando Magic. He's also one of America's most in-demand motivational speakers and most prolific authors. Boy, is he ever, Bill. In fact, uh, he has more than 85 titles to his credit now, and he's joining us today to talk about his latest. It's called Coach Wooden's Greatest Secret, The Power of a Lot of Little Things Done Well. Welcome, Pat Williams. Hey, Pat, how are you? I'm fine, Mark. Bill, it's sure nice to visit with you, and uh, I look forward to our visit. You know, we should uh, have also said, Bill, he's also a regular contributor to uh, the Growing Boulder efforts, and we greatly appreciate and that. And not just that, but really one of the kindest souls, one of the most enthusiastic people, just a great guy to be around. So it's really a pleasure to have Pat on the show. He is a great guy. And, Pat, I honestly wish you'd write a book about yourself because I think you've got as many great things to say as any of these people. But let's talk about John Wooden because this is not your first book on the coach. What is it about Wooden that that intrigues you enough to write about him again? Well, this is actually my third book on him, and uh, I was thrilled when he let me into his life, you know, in the last decade of his life. He lived till 99, and uh, in that last decade, he he did uh, give me permission to enter his life and talk to him and research him and, you know, put these books together. Obviously, he was the greatest coach, arguably, in the uh, history of sports in our country, uh, just on pure statistics, 10 NCAA titles in 12 years, seven in a row at one point. I mean, these are records that will never be touched. But far beyond that, Coach Wooden was possessed with a wonderful quality called wisdom. And uh, he was able to share that wisdom through his writing and through his speaking, through his counseling, you know, of very unselfishly. So I guess I would be one of the recipients uh, of that wisdom. And uh, I've been able to parlay that into a number of books here that I think really capture Coach Wooden, the person, and the advisor, the counselor, you know, far beyond the basketball coach. Pat, I think part of the reason that you're drawn to him is you both have one thing in common, and that's an incredible insight. You look farther than most people do. You really get into where that wisdom grows. What was it that Wooden saw that, that so many others of us miss? Well, I think he was a student of life, Bill. Uh, I think he uh, really enjoyed examining life, you know, through different lenses. Uh, obviously, there was a basketball lens, but I think he was fascinated with the human spirit and the human mind and was always uh, wanting to learn. He was a lifelong learner. He was a voracious reader. And uh, I think he was just a very, very intense student of life. And when you are a student of life, Boy, you're going to pick up an awful lot of things. And uh, and then Coach had the uh, desire to share that uh, through his teaching. He always viewed himself as a teacher, not a coach. And uh, his greatest joy, I think, came from teaching people. So he enjoyed studying and learning and then passing it on to others. We're talking with Pat Williams, who is a motivational speaker, an author, uh, an NBA executive, in fact, a Hall of Famer. Uh, uh, the title of the book, Pat, is Coach Wooden's Greatest Secret, so let's go right there. What is Coach Wooden's Greatest Secret? Well, Mark, I was having dinner with him one night at his favorite restaurant years ago, the Valley Inn, near his home in Encino, California. At that point, he had to be, I guess, in his early 90s. And so I said to him, I said, Coach, you've been around a long time on this earth. And I said, could you single out well, perhaps one secret of success above others? And he thought for a minute, and then he said to me, the closest I could come uh, to one secret of success would be a lot of little things done well. Hmm. And when he said that to me, I thought, oh boy, that could be a book someday. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, 
there's there's a pretty meaty topic. And so for the last years, I mean, gosh, uh, probably the last seven, eight years, I've been gathering and collecting and you know, putting together all the material I could I could come up with on this topic. And uh, the end result is this book, Coach Wooden's Greatest Secret, in which we really examine the importance of uh, doing little things well and doing them consistently. And really, when you examine John Wooden as a person and as a coach, uh, boy, he lived that creed for sure. Pat, one person he would have been very proud of is you. I mean, you, the last couple of years you've been embroiled in a, in, a, in a battle against multiple myeloma. You've stood very tall through this thing and pushed hard. How are you doing? Bill, I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, the reports are all good. I'm into the fourth year of this now. And uh, the doctors seem pleased with my progress. I go on how I feel, and my energy level is good, and I'm able to keep my full schedule and my full life. So I'm uh, extremely grateful for modern medicine, which uh, has been remarkable in my case and, and the prayers of many, many people. And we're, we're hanging in there. And uh, interesting you asked that, Bill, but, uh, but I've got a, another book coming uh, here in the month of March called The Mission is Remission in which I talk uh, openly about this whole cancer battle and you know, what I've learned from it and uh, you know, want to pass along to other people who are dealing with the same thing. You know, Pat, you mentioned that uh, John Wooden was a voracious reader. You know, I've been at your house. I've seen you read while you work out. You've got six books being read uh, at the <laughs> same time. You're finishing, what, on average, a book a day? Well, that's my goal, Bill. I'd, uh, I'd, I'd like, Mark, I'd like to finish a book a day that doesn't mean I read them from cover to cover because I've found that by reading six or seven books at the same time it uh, really keeps me uh, energized and interested in what I'm doing uh, the, the frustrating part if you're a reader is uh, falling behind and right now gosh I'm probably four or five hundred books behind I've got them all <laughs> laid out I I know what the mission is but uh, yes I'm a reader and uh, that probably people ask my hobby and what I like to do, and I always say reading is my my number one hobby. Come on, Pat. Look, look there are you shake a tree, you're going to find voracious readers fall off of that. But you, you are also a voracious writer. How many books for you now, and with another coming out in March? Well, the the, the cancer book bill will be number eighty eight. Uh, the first one came out forty years ago this fall. Uh, I wrote that in nineteen seventy four. So. Uh, in uh, in these 40 years, we've killed a lot of trees, and <laughs> number 88 is on the way here called The Mission is Remission. So, And there's some more in the pipeline. So I, I have found that reading and writing go together. So much of my writing is triggered off the reading. And uh, and then speaking, this by speaking world, fits in there as well. So it's kind of a, a, a trio that uh, I find really works well for me. One of the most prolific individuals you would ever meet. Uh, you know, Pat, uh, on the cover of the next issue of Growing Boulder Magazine is a good friend of yours, uh, John Gabriel. I know TNT did a great video feature on you and John. John now battling uh, his own health challenge. He's been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. I know you reached out to him and, and he to you. Are you guys helping one another? Yeah, you know, every time I see John, I try and give him a word of encouragement and a word of hope. Uh, he's... Uh fighting a, a brave battle as well uh, with Parkinson's. Uh, his uh, mind is still sharp and his attitude is good. And uh, he, he still is very enthusiastic about what he's doing. He works for the Knicks. And so his basketball life is still vibrant. Uh, but we need to keep John on our prayer list. You know, Parkinson's is uh, treatable, but it's not curable. And uh, John is fighting a very brave battle. Pat, how different does the world look through your eyes uh, since the uh, diagnosis of multiple myeloma? Oh, I think a lot different, Bill. Uh, you know, I've got a much greater sensitivity to people who are dealing with health problems. Certainly a, a whole world of cancer research and cancer fundraising and cancer counseling has opened up to me. It's not a world I would have picked, but the Lord had other ideas. And so suddenly I've been thrown into this cancer battle. Uh, one out of two men in our country will end up dealing with it in their lifetime, and one out of three women. So uh, it's, it, it, here, it is here in front of us. Uh, the researchers are doing a great job, and the treatments are so much better than they ever have been, but it's still a, a, a nasty disease, and 
affects people all over this country, all over the world, and we still have an awful lot of work to do ahead of us. Uh, Pat, in our final 45 seconds now, you've mentioned you've written 87 books so far. They're, they are all inspirational books, sharing the advice of very successful people. Well, what's, the, what's the one or two Pat Williams takeaway right now? How have you, what have you learned as you condense and coalesce everything that you've learned? What, what can you tell us now about life in general? Well, I think this, uh, Mark, I think when your, your greatest passion intersects with your greatest talent, uh, you have found your sweet spot in life. And, and I would encourage people to stay right there in that sweet spot, right at the intersection of your number one passion and your number one talent. And, and that should carry you a long way in life. And the earlier you can find that out in your life, the better, by the way. You know, the earlier you can discover your passion and your talent, uh, then get prepared, get educated. You're going to have a terrific life, believe me, if you can follow that little formula. Folks, you, you can see and hear why we call him one of the good guys, someone who works very hard every day to make a difference in the lives of others. We certainly need more like Pat Williams. And please do check out his latest book on Coach Wooden. It's called Coach Wooden's Greatest Secret, and it's available just about everywhere, including Amazon.com. Pat, thanks so much. Coming up, while we were looking for the Growing Boulder Inspiration Award winner, you won't believe who floats to the surface in a sea of inspiration. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by Advent Health, introducing the Feel Whole Challenge, a 21-day program offering big improvements through small steps. Taking a walk, making a smoothie, changes that encourage whole person health. More information at feelwholechallenge.com. And by The Legacy Life Project from Macbeth Studio, preserving family history, stories, and memories for generations to come by creating personal video biographies of your loved ones. Everyone has a story worth preserving. LegacyLifeProject.com. Bill and Mark here on the most important show on the radio, Growing Boulder. I want to talk about the annual Rowdy Gaines Masters Swimming Classic. Easily one of the top events in the world. And every year we are honored to hand out the Growing Boulder Inspiration Award there. The problem is it's never easy to pick a winner because, Mark, that is a pool filled with inspirational yeah, stories. It really is, Bill. And this year was no exception, folks. But one name kept popping up above all others. Just about everybody we talked to said, you got to give it to Diane Oostel. Well, we knew she was a great swimmer, but the award has absolutely nothing to do with talent and everything to do with inspiration. When we found out what Diane had to overcome to become the world record holder that she is, well, let's just say the award was hers. The annual Rowdy Gaines Masters Classic has once again attracted hundreds of swimmers of all ages and all abilities from all over. Some people want to go out and break world records. Some people just want to finish the race. Uh, and some people are just out there kind of doing it just for health reasons. That felt great. <laughs> that, that was good fun. Everybody has their own unique story, and, and, and a lot of these stories are incredibly inspirational. There is one thing they all share, a love for master swimming and a love for Rowdy, the unofficial worldwide ambassador for the sport. As always, the field is fast. Eight world records fall, including one by 67-year-old Diane Ustel, who proves doctors wrong every time she gets in the water. In 2003, Diane's car was rear-ended by another car going 60 miles an hour. Doctors told her she would never walk again. Her initial rehab was in a pool. They would lower me into the pool when I finally got that far, and I'd just float, and just to be wet was good enough. So swimming is the whole reason that I was able to recover as well as I have been able to, and I'm very grateful for it. A few years later, while still recovering from that accident, Diane took a devastating fall on a slippery floor in a public restroom. And there was some emulsion on the floor, and my right leg shot out very violently, very quickly, and I put my left arm down to try to stop 
me from the skid and because there was whatever there was on the floor, my hand kept going. And my, my um, shoulder broke and tore out the rotator cuff and all that good stuff. But what was devastating is all three hamstrings were totally ripped off my hip. She underwent several surgeries, including one on her shoulder and another to reattach all three hamstrings to her hip. And they have never done that surgery in the United States, ever. Once again, doctors prescribe swimming for her rehab. Swimming is physical therapy, but for me it was spiritual therapy. It was, it was very deep, it was very emotionally settling and, and beautiful for me to be in the water. I am more comfortable in the water than I am on land. As her rehab continued, Diane began swimming faster and faster, and after not competing for 17 years, she began entering meets. In a few short years, she has set 38 American and 13 world records in all four strokes in distances from 50 to 200 meters. This is her 14th world record, lowering the mark by more than half a second in the 50-meter butterfly. Diane Ustel is what Growing Boulder is all about. Hope, inspiration, and possibility. And we're proud to honor her with the Growing Boulder Rowdy Gaines Inspiration Award. I guess the moral of the story is thank the Lord every day for the blessings you had. Live a life of gratitude. Encourage others as much as you possibly can and, and help them achieve anything that they possibly can do because I'm trying to do the same also, but giving back is much more important than just focusing on yourself. Isn't she amazing? And Bill, that's really what keeps her going, is trying to share her amazing gift with others. And not only is she amazing in the pool, she is really equally amazing out of it. Get this, she's a registered nurse who specializes in palliative care. She's a doctor of education who helps families deal with the imminent death of loved ones. She's one of the world's top medical ethicists. She's the author of nine books, the president of her own company, an in-demand speaker worldwide, a triathlon coach, a wife, and a grandmother. Boy, you know how to pick them, don't you? <laughs> she is a great recipient of the Growing Boulder Inspiration Award and proof once again that your attitude, your, your passion, determination, that's what plays a huge part in the recovery process. You know, Diane refused to believe she'd never walk again. Because of that, she is walking. She's running. She's biking and she's swimming all faster than she did 40 and 50 years ago. Now, how is that possible? It almost seems too amazing to be true, but it is proof that we are all capable of bouncing back from serious injury far more than we once thought, and that it is never too late, and that it is never pointless to try as hard as you can, keep a great attitude, and continue to keep growing bolder. Growing Boulder is about looking for and celebrating the good life, which is why we like to hang out with a crazy guy named Key Howard. You know, Key has been around the block a few times and still enjoys every trip he makes. And as he likes to say, ain't life grand? Did you know that almost every president of the United States has had a pet? There were a couple of cats, a few parrots, and I understand President Fillmore had a monkey. But overwhelmingly, man's best friend, the dog, has been the favorite choice. Now, if you're a crossword puzzle addict like I am, you probably run across this definition on many occasions. FDR's canine. The answer is, of course, Fala, the pet Scotty of Franklin Roosevelt. This breed was also the favorite of General Eisenhower, who traveled the European theater of operations with his two dogs, Catchy and Tulloch. Now, there's a good crossword puzzle. Thomas Jefferson had a brace of French dogs called the Baird given to him by the Marquis de Lafayette. Gerald Ford's dog, Liberty, a golden retriever, swam laps with Mr. Ford in the indoor White House pool. And who can ever forget the picture of Lyndon Johnson picking up one of his pet beagles by the ears? George Washington had a foxhound called Sweet Lips, and President Abe Lincoln had a dog called Fido, who, like his master, was assassinated by some drunk some months after Lincoln's death. The most foreign animal was a Russian wolfhound owned by Herbert Hoover, while the biggest dog to occupy the White House was Rolo, 
a St. Bernard owned by President Teddy Roosevelt. Harry Truman put it best, if you want a friend in Washington, get a dog. Until next time, this is Key Howard. Ain't life grand? Coming up, the psychic madman, the world's number one brain training expert on how to improve your brain power. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by the Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter. Delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. Bill Schaefer here with Mark Middleton, and our next guest is recognized as one of the world's foremost memory and brain training experts anywhere. He's been voted the world's greatest mentalist. He's entertained millions in person and on The Tonight Show, Ellen, Howard Stern, and The Today Show. Yeah, very interesting fellow. He was dubbed the psychic madman back in 1990 when at age 37, after he dreamed that someone was thanking him on his answering machine for predicting that 222 was the Pennsylvania State Lottery daily number winner for December 22nd, he told his audiences about the dream. Dozens actually played those numbers and won. His prediction cost the state more than $12 million, and officials changed the rules for the lottery that very day. Now, his gift is the result of hard work, folks. It's not shtick. He spent years training his brain, memorizing more than 80,000 zip codes, every word in the Scrabble Dictionary, and the day of the week for every date since the beginning of the calendar. Now, lately, he's been sharing his amazing brain talents and secrets with wounded soldiers, autistic children, and struggling students. Isn't this fascinating? Now, that work has led to him becoming the official spokesman for the International Brain Research Foundation. Can't wait to say hi to Jim Carroll. How are you, Jim? Hey, how are you guys doing? Hey, when did you first start thinking, you know, I think I, I see this brain thing a little differently than most people? You know, believe it or not, uh, I used to, I lived in Allentown, Pennsylvania. I worked in a steel mill, and uh when I got laid off, uh, I, I started doing like some card tricks and things like that. And, and I took my wife's Avon account, went door to door, sold her Avon and because she was pregnant and I didn't know what to do with my life. And then, so I did card tricks, card shows and things like that. And then at the age of 49, I didn't start diving into the memory until 49. So this is a baby boomers dream come true. Kind of, I, I started exercising on my exercise bike because I had some heart problems and uh, it was so boring riding the bike that I would make these flashcards up and started memorizing things. I wanted to be able to memorize a deck of cards really, really fast. So I started doing that. Then I started memorizing digits of pi and countries and capitals. And it just became crazy. And I tapped into all this energy and stuff like that. And I started doing this every day for hours. Before you know it, I was, I was nailing down 100 digits of pi every day, got into zip codes, got into everything. And when I turned 60... I went to get a physical, and my heart problems are gone. So now I have all these doctors studying me, neurologists, neuroscientists, and it's amazing what you could do with your brain. It's just amazing. You know, we love your story at so many levels, and there is no question we can all benefit from training our main, our, our brains more. Uh, but, but really, as we get older, it's more important because research now shows that baby boomers fear dementia and Alzheimer's more than cancer. Do you agree with the research that shows that the right kind of activity can not only delay the onset of dementia but can actually reverse the symptoms? I, I 100% believe without a shadow of a doubt in my heart that that is true. And all these doctors that are studying me believe that as well. I mean, charts show when you're 55, 60, your brain starts going downhill. They show me all the charts, and it doesn't have to be that way. All you have to do is exercise your brain a little bit every day, just like an athlete exercises their body, or like when you jog for the first time, like in the Rocky movies, you can't do it. But then after several weeks of training, you can make it. You know, and that's all people don't realize. You just got to keep the brain going, keep it going. Most people, when they retire, they just stop cold and just go vacation. And you just keep, you got to get 
whatever it takes, playing board games like Scrabble, Checkers, Trivia Pursuit, or even playing Tetris on video games or read a book, play an instrument. There's so much you could do to keep that brain healthy and keep it active. And, and that's kind of what I got into. It's amazing what you could do. And, and this energy that you tap into. I mean, here I am in my 60s, and from doing all of this stuff, I started lifting weights again. It's like, it's like I don't know what's happening here. It's, <laughs> like I, it's almost like I stopped my brain from aging, and it's reversing. And I kind of like stumbled upon the fountain of mental youth. It's, a, it's amazing. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Talking with mentalist Jim Carroll. What a cool guy you are, Jim. Hey, you you got to let us in on, on some of this stuff. I, this is not a trick, folks. This is not, these are not mind tricks. But, Jim, what, what kind of things can we do to help become a little more like you? Well, like, like I said, what I did with, when, when I started doing the bike, okay, uh, I, I started by trying, I got a deck of cars. Like, in fact, I'm actually the, the speaker at the, at the USA Memory Championships on March 29th, okay? And, it's, and there's a, the, the, the company that the main sponsor is called Car Genius. And this is how my life became like that. I took a deck of cars. And I would go through the deck of cards and just go, go real fast, like two of hearts, jack of diamonds, five of clubs. And I, I just started getting faster and faster and faster and, and trying to come up with easy methods. I mean, it's hard to explain in just 10 minutes. But uh, I'm, I'm coming up with a program right now that I'm going to teach baby boomers and everybody across the country. And it's going to be really cool. And people, people can go to my website, jimterrell.com, and when that program begins... This is going to just change people's lives, and especially baby boomers. That's my target audience because I am a baby boomer. And it's the energy that you can tap into and the stuff that you can do. It's just amazing. I can't believe it. So, well, but it's, it's hard to do it justice on the phone. You almost have to see it. If you see me right now, the energy that's actually coming into my body just from talking about it. It's just amazing what you can do. Well, we can't see it, but we can certainly hear it uh, uh, and feel it. And, you know, it, it is so great because our culture has, has led us all to believe, has brainwashed uh, us to some extent, that, you know, after a certain age, you know, it's just a slippery slide downhill. And, and guys like you are proving that that doesn't have to be the case. We mentioned that you are now a spokesperson for the International Brain Research Foundation. They've done research, and they have determined that your brain ha- has truly— now, this is not just you saying this or us saying this— They've quantified this, that your brain is three standard deviations above average. What what does that mean? Well, I'm not a doctor. So like I said, I worked in a steel mill. I'm just the living poster boy of of what anybody could become. But like Dr. Jonathan Fellas and the doctors that studied me there, Dr. Philip, it's it's just uh, he kind of told me like I have like a brain like what Zen masters try to achieve in the 30s. But if you don't have to look at it, all it takes is really easy is you got to just begin today, start exercising your brain, no matter what it takes, any kind of game, keep, keep like, like, you know what I used to do? Like when I played Scrabble, I'm, I'm a very competitive guy. So I want to win. So I would take the dictionary and start memorizing it. Like all the two letter words were the first thing I memorized, like A, A, B, A, D, A, G, H, I, O. Once you start doing this, it, it, it just becomes so powerful. You start opening up other areas of your brain that you didn't know existed. It's like I'm into a, a place right now where no man has gone before. I mean, I don't even know where this is heading. I mean, it feels like I'm getting younger and younger every day. And, like, I can't wait to go down and lift the weights. And, and when I was in my 20s and 30s, I would never look forward to doing something like that, working out and things like that. Jim, we got a minute. It's the key to everything. It's just the key. And, uh like I said, I would recommend playing the games, playing video games, playing, playing, playing these online training games, playing Scrabble, playing checkers, you know, stuff like that. Like, and it, like I, I, my, my kids hate, my family hates playing board games with me now. I mean, I was so competitive that I wanted to win so bad in Trivial Pursuit, I would memorize all the cards and all the answers. And look, at, I'm just a, a schmuck. I'm telling you, anybody could do this. If I could do this, anybody could do it. Our thanks to Jim Carroll. It wasn't he incredible? The world's greatest mentalist now sharing his brain training techniques. You can learn a lot more about Jim and expand your brain three deviants. Wouldn't that be great? At Jim Carroll, K-A-R-O-L dot com. Coming up next, the story of faith and finger-licking good barbecue. We're talking with the now legendary pit master and entrepreneur John Rivers next on Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being 
More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble, to neglect. Bill Schaefer here along with Mark Middleton, and this is Growing Boulder. Our next guest has quickly become not only one of the nation's top restaurateurs, but an entrepreneurial legend as well. For years, his dream was to open a Texas-style barbecue restaurant. Seems simple enough. Huh? Yeah, finally in 2004, he did take at least a bit of a leap, launching what was basically a barbecue ministry out of his garage to help a local family pay off medical bills from their daughter's battle with cancer. And what has happened since, folks, really is nothing short of remarkable. He's about to open his sixth Four Rivers Smokehouse with more expansion on the way. And he's also launching an entirely new concept in Southern comfort food called The Coop. Welcome the pit master himself, Mr. John Rivers. Hey, John, how are you? Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Man, we really appreciate it. And thanks for, for sharing your story. And if I may, just a little bit more setup, because, you know, the, from the garage, you expanded into a small store in Winter Park that was supposed to be basically a commissary for the ministry, not really a restaurant. But you started offering takeout. All of a sudden, as we all can recall, there was a line around the block, so much so that you created a major traffic controversy. What happened? What did you do? I mean, good food is one thing, but it's unheard of to have that kind of response. You know, it was uh, absolutely amazed us, and to say that we were unprepared would be an understatement. Uh, we opened up. Uh, the front little line was supposed to be the food that we had left over from the weekend when we did a ministry event. And we said, well, we'll put it out there just in case anybody wants to come in and actually buy our food. As a matter of fact, our first model, you know those little bells they have at hotels? We had a little bell sitting on top of the counter because we thought we'd be in the back cooking and wouldn't hear it if somebody walked in. We opened the, uh, the doors on October 26th in 2009. We had uh, 12 whole employees and uh, no advertising, no promotion whatsoever. And that first day, we were blessed with a line. And uh, we, we, to this day, we can't exactly say why it's coming in like it is, but um, it, it, it started day one, and it has never stopped for us. You know what's really interesting, John? From what I understand, yeah, you had the lines right from the beginning, but that doesn't mean that everything went smoothly. You, you were running out of funds, and were, were you at, at one point you were considering even getting out of it and going back to the pharmaceutical business? We were, uh, my wife and I, we, we funded this, and uh, we, we started into it with a, a budget in mind of under $200,000 in about three months. And we found ourselves well over six months into it and well over half a million dollars, and we were, we were just about tapped out of cash. And uh, we, were, we were so fortunate when the opening date started because we, we could have made it much longer from there. And, Matter of fact, the very first year of business, our single goal was just to make sure that we never missed a payment to an employee or to any of our vendors or any of our responsibilities. And uh, we were we were fortunate to do that, and uh, we didn't think about making money in it. We just uh, number one goal was to stay afloat, and it was a good pressure to have to make sure that the food we were putting out was uh, also good. Folks, we're talking to John Rivers, who is the owner and founder of Four Rivers Smokehouses, which which will be one day, if it hasn't been already written about in, in, in books on the restaurant industry. I don't know whether this is true or not, John, but... The story is told that, uh, you know, at one point when you were when you were at this down period, at least financially, you got a phone call out of the blue from Dan T. Cathy, who is the CEO of Chick-fil-A, offering to help. Is that true? And, and if so, how did he help? It's very true. We were um, just about at one of our lowest points, and I had a, a job offer coming back, back to get back into the healthcare field, and I passed on that, and I just said, you know, we're just going to rely on our faith, and um, pull this thing through. We were so darn close to it, and we didn't have a solution. And within a week after that, we had two phone calls. One was from a contractor who helped us get to CO, and to this day has never taken a penny for it. And the other, literally out of the blue, was from Dan Cathy, called and left a message. And I remember us coming back from the beach with the family, and I looked down the screen, and there's a 404 message, and I hit it, and 
sure enough, and it's, you know, this is Dan Cappy. I work at Chick Fil A, and I remember laughing, saying, "You don't work at Chick Fil A, you don't work at Chick Fil A." But he was so kind to offer his assistance, you know, a complete open, gave me his phone number, his cell phone number, and he just stepped into my life and really gave me the confidence needed to keep going forward with it, and he really helped me shape what would ultimately become and turn into a restaurant. So he was a blessing, to say the least. John, how long did it take before you turned it around and it started to become successful? In other words, how close were you to, to just bailing? Well, the, the only thought of bailing was when we were at an absolute stop. Um, we were, like I said, we were good six months into it, and the contractor who I was working with um, was, was no longer on the site. We were about out of funds. And as a family, we were down to almost 45 days of cash left before we were going to have to make major changes and sell things off in our house. And that was the only point where I said, you know what, maybe we should stop and just regroup. And uh, like I said, that uh, you know, right after that, that offer came in to go back into the healthcare field. And, you know, what seemed like a, a lifeline, you know, I look back at it now, and really what it was was a temptation. Because uh, I knew how, how unhappy I was being in healthcare, and this has always been my, my heart and my dream and my passion to, to do exactly what I'm doing now. And I'm, I'm so thankful, that, you know, actually for the strength of my wife and her faith and courage and she said, you know, you just keep doing what you feel God wants you to do, and uh, I'll stand by you. That is exactly what we call growing bolder. And, you know, what a great story, believing in your passion and your vision so much that you're willing to take that risk. Let's fast forward real quickly because I want to get to the next part of this story. Uh, the empire, the restaurant empire that is Four Rivers, continues to grow. In addition to Central Florida locations, I think there's five or six now. You're in Jacksonville, Gainesville. Rumor has it you're looking at Fort Lauderdale, Tampa, Tallahassee, Alabama, Georgia, and beyond. In addition to that, you've published your first cookbook, the Southern Cowboy Cookbook, which includes Includes recipes that have inspired the new menu at the Coop, which is going to open very soon. Tell us about the Coop, John. The Coop is is really it, it's two things. Um, one, it's it's all the food that I grew up eating. Uh, my mom's favorite cook for us was fried chicken, and, and we ate it probably three times a week. And it's it's just real home uh, style food done in the same uh, level of quality that we do everything at the smokehouse. So it's pot pie and mashed potatoes and pot roast and shepherd's pie and just, you know, things that are real comforting and, and warming to the heart. And the second reason, to, to be honest with you, I, I, I love to create. I love to cook. I'm, I'm not too good at operations I'm doing the same thing every day. And, you know, heaven forbid, if I change one thing on the menu at the smokehouse, everybody gets all upset. So, this gave me a chance to make all new recipes and design a whole new concept, and I've just been in absolute heaven you know, doing it, and we're just a few weeks away from opening, and I can't tell you how excited I am and the whole team is about it. John, could you give us a 30-second takeaway of what it means to take that risk and follow your passion? Uh, boy, I'll tell you what. You look back at it now, you know, someone told me that if it's not worth the risk and it's not worth fighting for, then you really question if it's, it's what your heart wants. And once you put something into it and you lean into that faith and you follow that, that word that God gives you, um, it, there's no such thing as work. I work six days a week right now from 5 in the morning till 10 at night, and I can't get enough of it. It's, it's, it, it, it means the world when you start aligning your passion to what those skills are that God gave you, and you put it to work in the, in, in the kingdom building. John Rivers, it's great to know there are people like you out there building great things. And folks, if you have not eaten at a Four Rivers, do yourself a favor and definitely stop by. For more information, check out their website at 4rsmokehouse.com. Thanks, John. Coming up next, a powerful and inspiring story of moving forward in the face of adversity. How a 40-year-old woman put her life back together after losing her husband to brain cancer. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Advent Health, introducing the Feel Whole Challenge, a 21-day program offering big improvements through small steps, like a daily walk, making smoothies, changes that encourage whole person health. More information at feelwholechallenge.com. 
subscribe to Growing Boulder Magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. This is Growing Boulder. I'm Mark Middleton. That guy over there is Bill Schaefer. Time now for our Surviving and Thriving feature. Surviving and Thriving is about not only surviving life's greatest challenges, but actually thriving in the aftermath. Now, our next guest is a great example of surviving and thriving because on the very day that she learned that her husband's brain cancer had returned, she delivered premature twins. Can you imagine? That was a day that literally marked the beginning of her children's lives and the beginning of the end of her husband's life. Yeah, she's written a touching memoir about her heartbreaking yet ultimately inspirational and optimistic story in an effort to inspire others to keep moving forward no matter how difficult things might be at the moment. It's called Both Sides Now, A True Story of Love, Loss, and Bold Living. Welcome, Nancy Sharp. Hi, Nancy. How are you? Hi there. Thank you so much, Mark and Bill, for having me on the show. Well, we appreciate uh, you not only sharing your story in print, but but also here on the show. Talk, uh, talk about a lot to process. The, that day uh, had to be overwhelming. How did you know what to feel? Well, it was very overwhelming at the time. And I, I honestly, it took years to process what had happened and to integrate it into the whole of my experience. But I'll tell you... Um, you know, life and death all at once. I mean, sometimes life really is everything at once. And it just was, it was joy. It was also fear because my children were born two and a half months early. And then it was just sort of this like incredulous feeling like, why, why? And it took me a long time to um, move away from the why and to move toward what next. Because if you are stuck in why, you are stuck in stasis, and that is not how you survive and thrive. Well, let, let's get to the what next part, because I, th- I think, as I understand it, I think your husband lived for three more years after the birth. Just and, about. Mm-hmm. And I guess you were right around 40. You were living in Manhattan. Not quite. I actually was 37 when he died. And um, our twins were two and a half when he died. And we were living in Manhattan. It was, uh, you know... It had been our home for, at that point, about 15 and a half, 16 years. But life felt really hard, honestly, after he died. And even when I got my feet on the ground, it still felt hard. And I thought that we needed to make a bold change in order to really live again. I mean, what kind of future were my kids going to have? What kind of future was I going to have if I was feeling like the ghosts of yesterday were, were everywhere? So what did you do? What was the bold change that you made? Well, you know, there's nothing like a zero birthday to make you think hard about life. And I was turning 40, and my kids were entering kindergarten, so we had these two milestones that we were facing. And I just felt on a very primal level that I needed to do something different. And I remembered very clearly I was talking to a close friend of mine from college, and we were riding in the car on the Merritt Parkway to Connecticut to see my parents. And I, the kids were watching Dora the Explorer on the DVD in the minivan. And I just blurted out to her, I wish I could just move to Denver. And she said, well, why don't you? <laughs> and at first it was so preposterous that she would actually, you know, encourage me to do that. But uh, that is what ended up happening. And I picked Denver because Denver was a place I had visited many, many times over the years. My husband and I had visited, and we always felt a sense of belonging here. My college roommate is here. That's it. No family. But, of course, those gorgeous Rocky Mountains spoke to me. They spoke to me. They gave me a sense of peace and openness. And I needed breathing space, and my children needed breathing space. So we came on our own um, in June 2006 and made a new life for ourselves. And before we find, we, we learned the twist that occurred in Denver, uh, you, you know, I read that when your husband died, you played Joni Mitchell's song, Both Sides Now, at the funeral. So obviously you were dealing with the beauty and the heartbreak of life at the same time. Did you have any idea at the time that you would eventually write about that? No. Well, I was writing about being a caregiver for magazines. People were asking me to tell my story. And 
of course, the song, for me, when I heard it, or I would say reheard it, watching the movie Love Actually, which was released in the fall of 2003, I just went rigid in my seat because I felt that I was hearing something hugely important for me to understand, and it was about acceptance. And Both Sides Now is not a song necessarily about mourning, but for me, it became that meditation. Um, so at his funeral, no, and the year or so after, no, I wasn't really sure, but it wasn't until I came to Colorado that I began to distill my experience, and I realized, you know, the whole of my experience really is both sides now, because it's life and death, it's illness and life, it's so many things at once. Now, Mark mentioned right before that question, the big surprise. What what unexpected thing happened when you read that article in that local magazine? Well, you know, bold living is contagious. And one bold step, in my case, moving from New York to Denver, emboldened another. And a few months after I was living here, I happened to be reading the uh, Rocky Mountain News, which is sadly gone by the way of a lot of newspapers these days. <laughs> And they were talking about uh, an anchorman named Steve Saunders, who at the time was a very popular news anchor for the ABC affiliate here. And he had been widowed with two children, and he was being featured in one of our city magazine's most eligible uh, singles issue. And he was being touted as the hot catch. And I was intrigued. I didn't know who he was because, of course, I had just relocated here, and I'm a single mother of twins, and I don't have a lot of time to watch TV. But I was interested enough to know that he was widowed, and I went to go look at his picture, and I thought he was attractive, and I started to watch the news, and then I decided, you know, why not? I'm going to just reach out to him. Maybe we could be friends. And I did, and he didn't respond right away. But uh, I resent the note a couple weeks later thinking, okay, maybe it went into the spam folder. He probably got a lot of mail, which he did. This time he responded within the hour apologizing, and, and we got together, and we, things really, really, really happened quicker than I ever would have imagined. I never expected anything romantic to develop between us, but it did. And um, it was wonderful. And we married in 2008. We've been married almost six years. We've blended our families. We're the proud parents today of my 12-year-old twins and his 21 and 22-year-old sons. Wow. Well, congratulations. And and in our final minute here, Nancy, I mean, there's no question that all of us, if we live long enough, are going to face major challenges. What really is the takeaway here? What can we learn about life from you and your experience? Two things. One is, I think no matter what happens to us in life, we need not be in stasis. We have the ability to move forward at any given time. For me, I call it bold living. People can call it whatever they choose. The other thing is that when loss happens, I have come to see that it is, um, it is okay to hold life and death at once, both sides now, that it, there doesn't have to be this concrete tear in the past, that the past can live among us, and the past is simply a part of the present. It just doesn't have to be the whole part. Inspiring stuff, Nancy. The book is Both Sides Now. You can learn more at nancysharp.net. Before we leave you, today's takeaway comes from artist Donna Dallas. Uh, Donna had a successful career in entertainment, but she always remembered something that Andy Warhol told her when she said she wanted to become an artist. I think I know where you're going, Mark. He said, you don't become an artist, you are an artist, or you're not. And if you are an artist in your heart, then be the artist. Now, Donna couldn't get that advice out of her mind, and decades later, she made the commitment to being an artist. Totally self-trained, now her works hang in galleries all over the world. And she told us this, the moral of her story is simply follow your heart. Your purpose and your passion are in there. Now, it may be so far down that it hasn't yet had a chance to grow, but it is in there. Yeah, so what is your purpose? Think about it. Follow your heart and start growing bolder. Donna Dowless teaches us that it's never too late. So what are you going to do? We'll see you next time. Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting. All rights reserved.
This program was recorded live at Growing Boulders Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Director of technology is Joshua Doolittle. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day. Crimson flames tied through my ears, going high and mighty trapped. Countless fire and flaming road, using ideas as my map. We'll meet on edges soon, said I.